Turn in your Bibles tonight to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We will be there in a moment or three. Right, I have a new handout for tonight. Last week we finished up lesson number one of the Salvation Bible Basics. Tonight we're going to look at Lesson number two, and eh, we'll get about halfway through this. We'll, we'll see where we're at with time as we go through this outline. Um, last week, we ended with going through the Ten Commandments and just how they are. It's God's truth boiled down to Ten Commandments, and again, these are things that we all know and have heard most of our lives. Um, I'm sure even in a Catholic background, you heard the Ten Commandments, at least somewhat. Um, but it, not, in the, not in the way we look through them, but still there. Uh, it's God's truth, and the Bible is God's truth. That's what we were trying to establish with lesson number one. And then how God's standard is the Ten Commandments and how, well, frankly, none of us uh, measure up to God's law and how we are guilty before God. So tonight we're going to be looking at um, God's view of everyone on earth. Everyone who's ever been born, uh, ever lived, ever died, ever was on the face of this earth, and whoever will be on the face of this earth are going to be in one of two camps. Um, it boils down to those with and those without a relationship with God. And we're going to look at, I think, eight seven, seven um, comparisons of what the Bible says of those who have a relationship with God and those who don't. And as we progress, it gets more difficult and more difficult to accept, at least on the bad side, um, those without a relationship, and just what the Bible says about those who don't have a relationship with God. And um, and the whole point of this, this Bible study and having this as a tool is just being able to point to people where they are with what the Bible says um, about those who don't have a relationship with God. So um, and I'm not going to read the whole review because I basically just did that. Um, so we're going to look at these terms tonight. Uh, the first one um, is the word lost. The first word is lost. And that is found in Luke 19, verse 10, which says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, the purpose of Jesus Christ coming into the world was to seek, to find, and to save those who are lost. Um, and, of course, the word lost is something 
again that we're familiar with. You probably heard it growing up, and we know we 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 know what in general what that means. But the biblical word "lost" and the way it's described here in Luke 19. Um, well, here here's a couple of examples that uh, I heard and that they use that Brother Doug uses in this book. It's not saying like, okay, I drive downtown a lot for work and there have been times that I've gotten lost in Cincinnati and of course I have my GPS, but that makes sometimes can make you even more lost. But I'm here right now. That it wasn't a permanent place, permanent position. I was temporarily lost. I wasn't helpless. But really what this term lost here in Luke 19 and what um, Jesus is saying for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, it has the idea of someone who is completely helpless, um, who can't do anything for himself. So think about... Um, uh, think about Levi. What if he got, and he wouldn't be able to crawl away right now, but go into the woods and he's there by himself and he can't, he can't crawl out. All he can do is sit there and scream, lay there and scream. He is completely helpless. Someone, he can't, of his own power, he wouldn't be able to get himself out of that situation. And that's what we were, and that's what those who are lost are. They are completely helpless. They can't do anything of their own to get themselves out of that state. They need someone to come along and get and help them out of that state. That's the term lost. Um, but then there's the term saved. Uh, Rome, Romans 10, 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that word saved means rescued. Be like someone coming, finding Levi, bringing him back, take, getting him back to his mom. He was rescued. He was saved. But it wasn't on his own power. Um, it is, in this case, it's, it's Jesus, it's God who's, who is doing the saving, the one who has the ability to rescue. Um, and Brother Doug gives an example of uh, when he got saved. But um, that's the contrast between lost, someone who's completely helpless, someone who can't do anything of their own. But then you have the Jesus coming along and saving someone. Um, he's the one that did the act. There's nothing that that person could have done. So you have the contrast between those who are lost, Luke 19.10, think about a child lost in a forest or the woods. Then you contrast it with the term saved, um, someone who has been rescued from uh, peril. So that's, that's the first two words. Those without a relationship with God, the Bible says they're lost. Those with a relationship with God are saved. Uh, the second term is 
uh, unrighteous versus righteous. I'm going to read some uh, specifically from uh, this book for, for this point. The second term we want to look at is the term unrighteous. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, you can, you can turn there, just see these two verses. Um, but, well, I'll just read them here. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? It goes on to explain here, Apostle Paul, of who is the unrighteous in some uh, terms describing who is unrighteous. Uh, verse 10, it says, uh, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Who are the unrighteous? They are people who are not right in God's eyes. The term unrighteous means not right, not having the quality of rightness in your life. If you consider the Ten Commandments carefully, there is no way you can honestly say you are right with God. There is no way that you can say you have kept all the commandments all your life. In fact, the Bible tells us that everyone on earth has broken the Ninth Commandment because they were born a liar. Psalm 58.3 um, The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. We are liars from the time we are born. Uh, and those of us who are parents know that our kids lie to us all the time. It might just be a scream, but it's, it, yeah. I mean, of course, then we did it to our parents too, so, and they did it to theirs, and we were all liars. Um, and then let's, uh, let's look through some of these um, these terms found in in First Corinthians six ten, um, be not deceived. Remember, we're looking at things from God's viewpoint. He says, "Don't be stupid. Don't tell yourself a lie." But that that is what people are doing in our world today. They think because they go to church and they're religious, or because they are a good person, or they have been baptized, that they are right with God. They have their list of things they have done, and think surely since they have done all those things, they will be okay. God will make an exception for them. But God says, be not deceived. Don't tell yourself a lie. And then detailing some of the other terms, neither fornicators. Fornication has to do with any, any form of sexual sin. Uh, nor idolaters, uh, not making, um, well, did you ever make a God to your own image? A God which you thought is how God ought to be like? Instead of letting God be God, nor adulterers ever commit adultery. We looked specifically at um, that commandment last week and how Jesus defines that as not just committing the physical act of adultery, but having the lustful thought. Nor effeminate. Um, these days, there's a lot of effeminacy. Yeah, whatever. People being effeminate, effeminate, and it's it's not a popular thing. Um, I mean, today is the first day of June, which is national or basically the effeminates month, the beginning of their month, their that celebration. Um, 
it's not a popular thing for people to t speak against, um, but the Bible says it's a sin, it's wrong, um, and it's ravaging our country. Um, it's wrong, it's against God's law, but uh, the Bible says no effeminate. Those, the Bible clearly says those who are effeminate are unrighteous. That, again, that's not popular, but it's true. Um, and then uh, the last couple terms, uh, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. These line up with the Ten Commandments, which we looked at last week. Uh, these people whom God has listed for us here in these two verses are not going to make it to heaven because they're unrighteous. They're not right with God. Remember, we're looking at things from the way God sees them. And God says that people who violate the commands of God are guilty of sin and will not inherit the kingdom of God. We are all in trouble. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Just in case you're still thinking that you're not so bad, God says there is none righteous. Now, if you are not righteous, that makes you unrighteous. God said very clearly in 1 Corinthians 6 that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Remember, we are looking at how God sees things, not what we think. One day you and I will stand before God, so we better be prepared for that day. We're going to stand there before God who says, you are not right before me. I hope that concerns you. So, we have lost and unrighteous versus saved and righteous. Well, we're actually going to look at righteous now. Um, and then um, the next verse is still there in 1 Corinthians um, 6.11. The um, Apostle Paul says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed. Not only are there people on one side that are not right and have no relationship with God, but there are some people on the other side who do have a relationship with God. There are some people who were unrighteous, but now they are right with God. Somehow they have changed sides. They have a relationship with God and are termed righteous. At one time, these people weren't right with God. They were seen as vile sinners in the eyes of God. But now God sees them in this condition of righteousness. Somehow God has cleansed them. Romans 5.19 says, and again, as we go through these verses, uh, um, they are documented here in the outline, but it's a Bible study, so if you're doing this with someone, have them have a Bible and turn to these verses so they can see these themselves. This is what God says. Romans 5.19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. We read in Romans 3.10 that no one is righteous on their own, yet it says in Romans 5.19 that there are some who are made righteous. Something happens to them. They don't make themselves righteous. No, it says they were made righteous. Note these two things we have seen so far. There are some that are lost. They can't find their way. They can't get to heaven. They don't know how to get to heaven. They don't have a clue on how to find God on their own, but somehow God is able to rescue them, to, to save them. There are those who are not right before God, but God changes their life and makes them right before him. 
then they are moved from the column of not being right before God and are put over on the side of being right with God. Again, there's something that is done for them. is not anything that they do on their own. So, lost or saved, righteous or unrighteous. And now we're going to look at unforgiven versus forgiven. Um, Romans 4, 6 through 7 says, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. The word imputeth means to put on the account. It is a bookkeeping term and is used when something is charged to a person's account. God says there are some people to whom he has imputed righteousness. Notice that the righteousness he is speaking of is imputed to them and did not come because they worked for it. I mean, uh, think about uh, last year with all our stimulus checks. We were imputed money that the government just printed. But we got it just for, well, a lot of people got it just because they had kids. It was imputed to them. But um, this obviously is a lot. Uh, being imputed righteous is, or forgiveness is, it's an amazing thing. Um, in verse 7, he describes these same people as having their iniquities forgiven. Obviously, for God to say he has forgiven their iniquities, there had to be a time in their life when their iniquities were unforgiven. Remember, we were talking about how God sees those who have no relationship with him. Every person born in the world has sinned against God. We have violated, violated his law and mistreated him. We are guilty, lost, unrighteous, and therefore in the state of not being forgiven by God. Forgiveness is not something you get on your own. It must come from the other person. And forgiveness, we were learning about that uh, in Sunday school a couple of weeks ago. Suppose I went down into the congregation. Again, uh, this, he's, he's preaching this, um, so he uses this example. Suppose I went down into the congregation and slapped someone on the face very hard just because I felt like it. Then I declared myself forgiven and walked away. Would that be forgiveness? Can I give myself forgiveness when I have wronged someone else? No, of course not. If I am to have forgiveness, the person I slapped has to forgive me. The person who has sinned against, uh, who has sinned against, has to be get, uh, has to give the forgiveness. It won't me do won't do me any good to strut around and say I'm forgiven because I said I'm forgiven. I say it is all right now, so it is okay. Yet that is how most people on earth live their lives, isn't it? They walk around declaring that they are okay, yet they have never been forgiven by God. The Bible declares that we all have wronged God, we have all sinned against Him, and we cannot forgive that sin by ourselves. God says there are many people who have not been forgiven, therefore they have no relationship with Him. Again, with this particular study, it's, just bringing this person down to realize what the Bible says to them about them, or if they are truly are saved, then they can see the contrast and be like, "Thank you, Lord, that I am forgiven." But the Bible has a lot to say about those who don't have a relationship with Him, and it's just really funneling them down to a point 
of seeing their need. Now we're going to look at the, the term forgiven. Um, God says in Ephesians 1.7 that it is possible to be forgiven, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It is possible to have forgiveness in Christ. Romans 4, 6 through 7 describes this forgiveness as something given by God. It also describes forgiveness as being a covering for sin. Forgiveness comes from God, and it was made possible by the blood of Jesus. It is God who has to forgive you because he is the one you have wronged. Therefore, God says there are those who have a relationship with him because he has forgiven them. They have wronged God, but God has forgiven them. Remember, we're looking at the two groups of people that God sees in the world today. When you stand before God, you are going to be standing there in one group or the other, unforgiven or forgiven. There are some that God has not forgiven. Many people think that if they just tell God they are sorry, everything will be okay. But I've known people who say they're sorry, but they don't really mean it. Just being sorry for your sin is not good enough. Remember, God knows the heart. And of course, that is, um, we'll be coming down to uh, lessons and things talking about repentance and turning from your sin. Um, and of course, that's what it's imp uh, implying here. Uh, not just being sorry for your sin, you have to be repentant. Um, there are also some that will be standing before God who have been forgiven. God promises to forgive, but he only promises to forgive if we come on his terms. God knows what is in our heart. He knows whether we are just trying to manipulate and use him. He knows if we are trying to make a God after our own image or whether we are willing to come to him the way he says we have to come. So, lost versus saved, righteous or unrighteous versus righteous, unforgiven versus forgiven. And one more we're going to look at tonight, um, the terms enemy or being at enmity with God or reconciled. So enemies or reconciled. Uh, you can turn to uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Romans 5, 10. Another term that God uses to describe those without a relationship with him is in Romans 5.10. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So we see in this verse, those who were enemies, and then those who were reconciled. Um, when God looks at those who have no relationship with him, he sees them as lost, unrighteous, unforgiven, and as his enemy. In most churches today, you will not hear this truth preached, but it is true. The God of the Bible says you are his enemy. You are fighting against him. Now, um, right now there's the uh, Russia-Ukraine war, and of course Russia's the aggressor and all that, but they're enemies right now, but it's two countries with militaries, two presidents fighting it out between each other. 
and I mean, whatever, if you believe the news or not, uh, Ukraine has won some battles, who knows? Really, honestly, I don't know if we can truly know what's going on there. Um, but they're they are enemies with each other. Those two countries are enemies right now. But in the grand scheme of things, they are they're even because it's man versus man. But thinking about this, this is man versus God, which is so much higher even than I can stretch my arms in comparison. And there are those who are out there who are metaphorically shaking their fist at God. And it's like, do you really realize who God is? That's, that's a scary, scary thing. Um, and the Bible says those who don't have a relationship with God, they're the enemies of God. I mean, it's not Vladimir Putin aiming a nuclear weapon at you. It's the God, the creator of the universe against you as your enemy. And that's, that's a really scary thought. Um, and I think of all these um, terms so far, I think that's, at least to me, that's the scariest thing. God as your enemy. But in this verse, Romans 5.10, the word reconciled is used twice. Um, this is another term that God uses in the Bible to describe those who have a relationship with God. He says that they have been reconciled. We also find this term used in Colossians 1.21. And the term, the word reconciled actually means to bring two parties back together who have been at odds with each other. So to go back to our Russia-Ukraine example, it would be someone coming between President Zelensky and President Putin and bringing them together to reconcile them. Of course, that's who knows that that will ever happen, that third party being able to reconcile them, uh, which uh, the rest of the world is trying to be that and yeah, whatever. That's getting into politics. Um, but the term is being reconciled. Those who were enemies coming together and um, who were at odds with each other and, well, coming to a point of, like we look here, at forgiveness. Um, we are enemies of God because we have wronged God. God never wronged us. So our example with Ukraine and Russia kind of breaks down because I know they both have wronged each other. But God has never wronged us. We're the ones who have always wronged God. Um, and therefore, God doesn't have to change. God is not the one who needs to be reconciled. Reconciliation has to happen on our side. We have to be brought back to God. Reconciliation, like forgiveness, is not something that we can cause to happen. Reconciliation is something that has to happen from outside of us. It's not something we can bring about on our own. Suppose I broke your window, but then I come and tell you that I'm sorry and I want to be reconciled to you, but I can't afford to pay for the window. You have to be willing to say, all right, I'll bear the cost of your wrong in order to have a right relationship with you. I'll put 
you're wrong in the past and whatever it costs me, I'll pay the cost and we'll move on from there. Our sin against God is far greater than just breaking a window. Our sin debt is so great, it is a cost you and I can never pay on our own. It is the cost that only God could pay, and he did that in the death of Jesus Christ. That is how we are reconciled with God. God loves you so much and desires a relationship with you so much, he is willing to forgive your sin and reconcile you to himself. He's willing to pay the price for your sin through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And just looking at these terms, you are saved, saved, righteous, forgiven, reconciled. Uh, and Lord willing, next week we'll look at these next terms. Those who are justified, those who are accepted, those who have eternity in heaven versus those who don't have a relationship with God, lost, unrighteous, unforgiven, enemies of God, condemned, under wrath, and an eternity in the lake of fire. Um, so those are the contrasts. We'll finish those up um, next week and then look at men's attempts to gain a relationship uh, with God um, and the, the wrong ways that men do that. Um, and then uh, yeah, we'll, we'll finish that up next week, Lord willing.